You are listening to a Market Scale Software and Technology Podcast series. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. This is the first episode of a three-part series titled Bringing AI to Businesses with Ben Taylor, Chief AI Officer and Co-Founder of Ziff Incorporated. All right, Ben, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Great. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm wonderful. Thanks for joining us again. I'm excited to get you on for your very own series here where we're going to break down the idea of bringing AI to businesses. And we're going to break this down into a three episode series where we begin with where is AI useful for businesses and who's working on these AI projects? Basically looking at toy versus real AI applications for a business. Then in the second episode, we're going to dive into how do you convince businesses of AI. You know, how do you convince them to use AI correctly, um, to find value in it, and uh, to really implement it wholeheartedly into their operation. And then we'll finish off the series with business liabilities. So once the AI is applied, how do you make sure that you're using it ethically? And kind of digging into some AI applications that make us feel uncomfortable, um, but for very real and you know rightfully so reasons. So I'm excited to dig into this first episode. Like I said, we're going to break down where is AI useful for businesses in the first place? And who is even working on these projects? How do you discern between AI that is just fluff and AI that is actually going to increase revenue or give you important business insight or be able to provide data for crucial business decisions? So let's just, yeah, let's just start at the very beginning here. I guess we'll start with this blanket kind of question. In your eyes, uh, how have you seen businesses begin to adapt AI? Um, you know, are, are you still seeing it being treated as an emerging kind of unknown and confusing technology? Are you finally seeing businesses implemented in useful ways or is it just kind of in a case-by-case basis? So I think right now I see a lot of businesses seeing this as a necessary investment, but they don't really have a clear vision on what the use cases should be. So we interact with companies that are in the process of hiring their first data scientist. And they've never hired a data scientist before, and they don't necessarily know all of the projects that they would work on. They might have a few ideas. Uh, So it's, in in higher view, kind of fell into that case as well. So four years ago, they made the step to hire their first data scientist, and I joined the team. So that's very common for companies to check that box, hire a data scientist, and kind of see what they can do, see what they can find. But in some cases, the issue that comes up is the projects, the projects they work on aren't necessarily the right ones. And, and the business doesn't have the proper foresight on what projects should be accomplished yet. Right. And I think that just comes from a lack of education. You know, I think a lot of these smaller businesses, even large enterprise companies that don't have anyone on their team who knows AI in and out, knows how it can be applied to you know, to actual tangible KPIs. Um, you you basically just get an ignorance all around, and it's not like it's not faulting anyone for it. It's just it, the technology hasn't quite become integrated to the point where every business can turn to someone immediately and say, all right, how can we automate our processes and see increased revenue? 
Exactly. And I think um, you kind of touched on something I'll pull on a little bit, and that's there's a big gap between these two different worlds. So you have the data scientists. Many of them might come from a very technical background, PhD in physics, computer science, um, economics, engineering. And then you've got the business side. And these are two separate worlds, and they have a very difficult time communicating and understanding what the other side knows and, and what their priorities are. And so that that kind of increases the risk as we go into these projects because the executives really don't understand what's doable, what's practical, and all of the tools within data science. But on the same on the same side of that, the data scientists are pretty naive when it comes to business objectives. So growth, KPIs, churn, uh, customer acquisition costs. They, they just that's just not anything they've ever been exposed to, and they don't really think about that. Right. Yeah, it's like both ends sort of don't know how to meet the needs of the other and you end up with you end up with AI that is sort of just reaching these wouldn't it be cool kind of projects and then you have businesses trying to implement that and not working and then you have the data scientists who don't, you know, let's say the business does say, all right, we're looking to actually increase our revenue by uh, applying this. We're looking to you know, change our marketing plan by the end of the year based on the data that you pull from automating this process. And they don't even know where to start. That's, that's tough. You know, how do you even begin to educate both sides on what the other needs? Yeah. So that's been a journey for me. So I think a lot of data scientists are very passionate in this space and they're going to kind of fall into this fallacy where they think they can educate the executives. And I, and I was there four years ago. So I remember sending the executive team some statistical plots where I was really excited because I I had found something. So I'd been there for a month or two. The data was really messy. It was really sparse. It's some of the more challenging data that I had seen just because of the low quality that we were dealing with. And I found I found some opportunities. So I found some lift. I sent a custom plot to the executive team demonstrating that I what I was seeing. And kind of the hope on my side at the time was, well, I'll just teach them in these bite-sized statistical pieces. Like I'll, I'll explain what this is. They'll know what that is. And next I'll explain what B is and C is and D is. And by the end of the year, they'll have a kind of a general understanding of AI and data science. And that's great because I love this space. Mark Newman, the CEO of HireVue, he immediately responded probably on his phone. And he said, what the hell am I looking at? And I love him today. Like he, he's actually, you know, we're, we're, we're close friends. I, I really look up to him and what he's accomplished. But that was kind of an eye-opener for me that from my side, I kind of came into that naively thinking, well, I think what you're looking at is obvious. And if it's not, let me teach you. And what I've come to realize is if you look at these directors, managers, and data science teams, um, you know, plant managers, ex- or sorry, not data science teams. If you look at the business folks, so executives, plant managers, uh, directors of product, they have a thousand priorities that are not data science. They're trying to increase growth, increase revenue. They're focused on the next raise. Data science is not, it's not even showing up on their radar as far as priorities um, when it comes to understanding it. And so the place I've gotten to is if you need to tell an executive something, it needs to be a number that needs to have a dollar sign attached to it. And if you can't get there, it needs to be a number that they're very familiar with. So click-through rate, 
customer acquisition costs, conversions. And for data scientists, that's very strange because to give you that number, I need to have a lot of assumptions. And normally data scientists don't like to go there. They don't want to go out on a limb with all these assumptions because they're not used to playing there. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And I mean, as a data scientist presenting this information to the executive, you need to make sure that it's easy for them to be able to see the insight from the get-go. So, I mean, like if, like you said, if you're even having to spend the time educating them on what each piece of data means, it's already too late. Like that, that shouldn't really even be part of the conversation. That needs to already be presented in a way that is looking at, okay, this data is going to affect this KPI. It's going to you know, decrease costs here. It's going to increase costs here. Uh, it's going to increase revenue here uh, without you, know, you saying like, all right, here's some data. Go ahead and interpret it however you see fit and make some changes. You know, I think the data scientist almost needs to consult as well. Well, the, the other thing that's happening, um, and I've fallen into this trap, the data scientist wants to get partial credit. So they're, they're showing you their work. They're showing you these custom plots. They're showing you all this insight. The executive doesn't care about any of that. They just want to know, if anything, that actually increases their doubt that the, this data scientist really doesn't go, know what's going on because they're not giving me a clear recommendation. They just want the recommendation. They don't want to understand how you got there. They don't want to understand the partial credit. And then getting back to Mark Newman, he had a – so I love that email response. Another thing he said to me later on while I was going through this transition is one point he said, Ben, we know you're smart. That's why we hired you. You don't have to keep reminding us. And the thing I love about these little one-liners is they're very focused on what the priorities are. So walking you through the journey, how I got from A to Z and kind of my understanding and maybe fishing for partial credit is not useful. Um, You need to get to the point, have the recommendation. And then the other surprising thing is Any number you request from a data scientist, you can expect um, some of the better data scientists, they they know how to put a confidence around that number. So if I'm telling you I'm going to increase click-through rate or something, I should be able to give you a confidence range on the projected increase. But that's actually not helpful. Anytime you talk about partial credit or confidence bounds, it actually decreases the confidence in the business person that you're trying to communicate with. It's much better for you to just have that recommendation and use your statistical insight to kind of back it and just get to the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that definitely makes sense. So let's dig into some of the actual beneficial applications of AI for a business. Um, I think often what ends up happening is if, if a business even adopts AI into its operations, um, the data scientists maybe or whoever is in charge of saying okay we want these processes automated or we want to get some insight out of this there is a not a, a tangible correlation between that and any sort of measurable or quantifiable um information you know how can you quantify and like said thing so that's what i want to break down here is what are some of these projects that are supposedly useful for business but end up being non-essential and then what are some ai projects that are actually beneficial for a business and we can walk through some examples yeah um so this is a fascinating topic because i feel like i always like to come up with these analogies to force them on the topic and so gotta love analogies (laughs) yeah so (laughs) 
if you, there's kind of two camps of people. So there's people in the know and there's people that are not in the know. And what I mean by that is understanding this, the true state of AI today. And so uh, if you talk to a lot of businesses and executives, they're kind of in, they're not in the no camp. They're pretty naive when it comes to capabilities. And if anything, they're, they're actually thinking that AI is less capable than it is today because they look at things like self-driving cars, cancer research. We still have cancer and we don't have self-driving cars where they kind of see it as this ultra niche play where eventually something interesting might happen with their business, but today it's not there. It's not ready. Um, but at the same time, we can give examples of very, very scary things for businesses that are happening overnight. And so the, the thing I love to bring up is you have, so to simplify this, let's just say there are people out there that are the smartest humans on the planet. They're Ivy League educated. They've dedicated their entire career to a very specific domain. So that might be linguistics. So understanding the meaning behind the English language, what you say means this and that. They might be emotion analysis. So they, um, Ekman, he understands your facial expressions and what they mean. He does consulting for the FBI. The show Lied to Me was inspired after him. You have automatic speech recognition experts. They're coming out of Oxford. They've been rock stars for the last two decades. They demand very high salaries. They understand the theory behind um, phonemes and parts of speech, stuff coming from the movie My Fair Lady, but matured into the text space. So you have... And then you have physicians, radiologists, pathologists, dermatologists. So you have these people, they're much smarter than you and I when it comes to their domain. But we're seeing examples where these experts are almost blindsided overnight with AI. So uh, with linguistics, you would be a, a fool to pay for products coming from these human experts because AI can, um, and we actually did this study. So this was one I was um, involved with a few years ago. We were benchmarking the, the best humans on the planet for breaking down language. So you said this, it means this. So what they do is they take everything you said and they bucket it into multiple categories. And you can use that for hiring. You can use that for um, persona targeting with advertising. There's a lot of use cases that are really interesting. The performance and the value we got from the human expert features was embarrassing compared to the AI features where you take a hundred billion words, the computer reads them, understands the language relationships, and then it just invents its own topics. And the topics were way more predictive. Um, and that we've seen that with emotion. We've seen that with speech recognition. And, and, and we've seen, we're seeing that now with medicine. And along the way, there's lots of resistance. But if this is your industry, you could feel very comfortable today that AI is not impacting your industry. And you could be in a, in a state of desperation in a couple of quarters because of what, you know, one of these applications actually hits the market and you're blindsided with automation. So there, there are lots of examples. They're kind of slow. Manufacturing is a little slow, but you're gonna see lots of these use cases in QA, quality inspection and manufacturing. There's lots of industries getting wins, but there's also industries that are having some missteps in AI. Right, and, and, and I mean, looking at a major company that was able to implement AI to, you know, drop the bill down by a, a big number. We saw Google um, actually find ways to create more efficient ways to cool their data centers. And that was accomplished through AI. You know, they were able to reduce the bill by 40%, which is huge. Um, DeepMind accomplished that, which is, you know, which is fabulous. So, it, it, you can literally see that AI 
will impact your business in a positive way. It's just finding those applications, whether it is in something like, yeah, you know, reducing your carbon footprint or whether it's increasing um, the efficiency of your manufacturing plant. Some of those processes, I think, feel a little more intuitive. I think it's when you get to some businesses um, that, you know, don't have some of those industrial level processes and they look to, okay, where is AI going to actually benefit me? Um, you know, do I use it to track social media I- engagement? Do I use it to track uh, the way people are purchasing my items? You know, where if not applied correctly can be a waste of money and a waste of time. Yeah. And I, and it can even be worse than that because it waste time and money, but it can actually kind of leave a bad taste with it, you know, with the executive team and the and the and the, per, the business person that sponsored that effort, where now they are less likely to have AI in production in the next two years. So I so I've I've warned people that if they don't feel like their first AI project is useful, like dramatically useful to the business, I would recommend waiting. So don't don't burn political capital on a science project. Wait until you have a clear line of sight on a business win and then do something. Because if you if you work on the wrong project, you're, it's going to be really hard for you to get buy-in for hardware and talent when you actually find something that's useful. So it's like the boy that cried wolf. We tried this science project, waste of time. We tried this science project, waste of time. Now I need to increase click-through rate or some type of a, automate a, a human step. I'm going to have no confidence that you know, you as the IT directors or the CTO are going to succeed the third try. Right, exactly. Like, you don't want to bring a bad name to the ability of AI because when applied correctly, it can be transformational for the company. Um, you know, what what are some of those applications on sort of the opposite side here? The ones that often you see being applied to businesses as quote-unquote useful, but then they end up really just being that waste of time and end up putting people off to wanting to approach AI for real practical uses. Yeah. So what what are some of the science projects that maybe derail or distract businesses? Yes, exactly. Getting to value. Yeah. Okay. There, I have one last thought in my mind before we switch gears. That number you mentioned from Google, the 40%. Yeah. That number is so big that should, that should scare people because if that, if that, that was their business, some type of power efficiency, and they're selling a product, and if you're competing against them, that they they just ended your business with a number that big. So <laughs> those, if if I if I increased power efficiency by four percent, that's worth tens of millions of dollars. I should be given a promotion. I could sell my company. Right. Forty percent is an example of complete market disruption, and that you know that's stuff that we'll kind of you know we'll see time and time again. That's the risk out there for not doing anything your business could be impacted by a number like 40% from someone else. But yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up. That f- no, exactly. No, just because like once AI is applied in those, in those areas where it's just asking to create change and it does, it, you honestly start to see that the human processes that you were doing for decades and decades were just so outdated and could be so much more efficient. But you won't know unless you trust the AI and you have the right people in place and you're approaching it from a you know a KPI angle and not just a this is cool angle. Um, and yeah, I, I think that is where people should be looking at numbers like that where where yeah if you don't act on it and you don't act on it right 
it could mean the end for your business. You know, not just uh, not just okay, we don't get to implement the cool new technology. It could be yeah, well, the guys next door just completely put you out of business. Uh, so that we know there's some big wins, there's some big gems and jewels hidden underground that people are finding, but there's also a lot of fool's gold. And there's a lot of misstarts where people will get excited about something. So some, and we see this a lot, we'll go into a company, they're new to AI, they haven't done anything, and they start bringing up suggestions. And it feels like you're herding cats, where there are so many ideas that our confidence of them finding value actually goes down. So you would think it'd be the opposite. Think, oh, if you have 10 or 15 ideas, great. We'll just sort through the garbage and we'll find the one. But when we start getting all of these ideas going out there, what we see is people get really excited about the capability of AI and they fall into what we call, we usually get a laugh out of this when we, we present it. We, we tell people, if your project starts with, wouldn't it be cool? It's a terrible project. Like I can, I can already tell you that project will fail, don't do it. It doesn't mean that AI can't do it, but normally what it means is the AI lift to succeed is significant and the business value is unmeasurable. You can't hold the AI accountable for the project. And so some of those to be very specific would be if you're e-commerce and you're really interested in doing like a Pinterest integration. So if I look at your Pinterest account and I look at what you're looking at, I could potentially find products within my store that are similar to yours. That's great. Like that's definitely doable. Some businesses find value there, but I wouldn't recommend a project like that for your first one because if I ask you to promise me value, what is that worth to the business? Like, is that worth $100,000? Is it worth a million dollars? Does it transform my company? Like, am I looking at like a, a 20% increase in customer acquisition cost? Right. It's really right. hard just, to say. Just saying this is going to bring value isn't enough anymore. Yeah, well, there's, there's too many things that, that could kill that because one of the things that could kill that would be the user experience where... The theory on the board seems fine, but the way it was rolled out in the app, the user experience, the way the user understands what's taking place, maybe they fail. There's too many factors that could prevent that from succeeding. Another example in e-commerce that would be much better would be a a conversion uh, ratio. So some click-through rate. I show you a product. What's the likelihood of you clicking on my product? That and there are a few things happening there. So one thing, the objective is very clear. I could back it out into dollars in you know, customer acquisition cost or growth. I can I can convert it directly to a business language that's understood. I can come up with a number on the board. And then the important thing is the time to value. The time for me to decide if this is working is short. So once I get something on an A-B test, I might know in a few weeks where the Pinterest integration you're looking at months and months, like it might not even be this year or next year that we, you know, we get it fully baked and built out because it's tight. It's constrained to a new product that doesn't exist. A lot of people get really excited with understanding what we call intermediate variables. So if I take an image of a scene or if I have an image in my pipeline, I want to know for this image, is there a swimming pool in the image? So for like for property appraisal, I am looking at your house. Is there a swimming pool? I really want to know that. And if that thing by itself is a project, that's not very useful. But if I instead am predicting the price of the home, which is something we have done, that's much more useful. So we kind of, we drive businesses to focus more on end of value. What do you actually want rather than an intermediate variable? Because intermediate variables, those are kind of science projects by themselves. They're not useful. 
and the way they're consumed may not be useful, or we like to turn over what, what we call the feature or input discovery to AI. Because sw swimming pool may not be the driving thing. You might think it is, but it ends up being literally 10,000 or 100,000 other things. So why would you limit the discovery by the human understanding? Right. So it's it's a lot of just reframing focus and looking at the bigger picture, which can be difficult because oftentimes you know, where your mind leads is, okay, you know, what is this, what is the one factor that is messing this up? Or what is the one factor we can change? And, you know, hopefully that is going to fix whatever process. But if you're not looking at the final goal, you know, what is the reason that we're even trying to bring AI to this? It's not just about identifying swimming pools, like what is the value there? It's looking beyond, okay, identifying this will be able to help us better understand this. And the final goal is we want to be able to, let's say, sell more houses, right? Like done, easy, you're looking at the big picture and you want your AI application to accomplish that. And then if you look at the big picture, the AI is going to just be more comprehensive and you're not going to limit yourself to discovering tiny fragments of data that might be helpful, but at the same time, they might not be. It might be totally useless that you're even spending time trying to identify which pictures have swimming pools. Um, so, yeah, it's it must be difficult for businesses to look at such a grand scale um, when implementing something like AI, but it's the way you got to do it if you want it to be... Um, if you want it to actually be useful and not just a, a toy or a science project. Yeah, exactly. And I think people put too much weight on the human understanding of the problem. So, I, so I'll so i kind of split this two ways. So I, I tend to be very negative on the human contribution for feature value. And some people joke that I'm anti-human. I'm not. I'm a human too. But like the fact that it took you know two decades of business insight to find out that a whole, like a, a swimming pool was a feature or this was a feature, just like the linguistics example, that doesn't matter. You, like your feature space can be completely surpassed overnight with, with AI. But at the same time, we do find a lot of value from some business features where you, you really do have to respect that the business, they are the subject matter experts. So they might have multiple proprietary feeds of data. So that the real hook here that we ran into is a data science researcher would naively think that an image is all they need. Like, give me an image and I'll save the world. Give me an image and I'll predict damage from a car. I'll predict cancer. I'll predict anything you want. So a lot of AI researchers would feel that way. Just give me more data. And one of the things we saw interacting with businesses, some of the best insight has come from the non-technical users where, where they'll say something and they'll say, well, I think you should know that this car is a BMW and not a Honda Civic. And an AI researcher would just assume the AI will learn that. But unfortunately, the image is just a wheel well. There's nothing in the image. for So for even the AI a thousand years in the future, there's nothing in this image to tell you that this is a BMW. It, there's The information is missing. But they know this, they have metadata, they have business expertise, and some of, we find some of that data can be very useful. So I think the thing I am sensitive to is when you have an unstructured item, like an image, video, or audio, or text, where humans are trying to interject their understanding of that data type, that's where I would say, no, just give it over to AI. But there is structured data about a business problem where, yes, that is quite valuable that represents intellectual property, subject matter expertise, 
that is useful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's just going to take a lot of education on businesses ends on the end of the data scientist on the people, you know, putting the AI together to just get everyone on the same page because we don't want businesses to waste their time and implement AI projects that are going to be fruitless. We also don't want, um, you know, businesses to be turned off to the potential of AI because you're seeing numbers like 40%, uh, like you said, they, which is monstrous. It's, it's industry shaking. So, you know, I think it's just recontextualizing where to focus and finding the real gems in AI and not being, um, you know, not being caught up in the chase value in what seems the coolest, what seems the most maybe effective in the short term, but is very limited in scope. It's got to be adjusting that scope. So, you know, hopefully uh, businesses and data scientists and everyone involved can start to work together to bring AI to businesses in a really practical way and in a really ubiquitous way to where we're not even having this conversation anymore. Everyone just knows how to integrate AI and everyone has. So that's an exciting future. Hopefully it comes sooner than later. Yeah. Well, I, and I also don't want people to feel discouraged thinking that it takes a Google to achieve numbers like 40%. We see this with a lot of companies. Exactly. Um, so an advertising company that we're aware of, they reduce their their opportunity acquisition costs by several orders of magnitude because of AI. So you, you do have these very disruptive discoveries that are happening. You don't have to be Google to achieve them, but you I think you definitely have to have a business sponsor. You can't let these data science teams run amok. Um, and I, I was going to kind of throw the data science teams under the bus and say that some of the worst ideas that we've heard for projects have come from the data science team. Like they, they are, <laughs> like they, they are so bad. They're they're so bad that they'll never exist. But even if they did exist, they don't offer value. But we find the best project suggestions come from the executive team, uh, even though they don't know anything about AI. They understand these three things. If they were improved, two percent, five percent, ten percent that would have a dramatic impact for me and for our business with our growth. One, there is one more roadblock that we see too. A lot of businesses have a knee-jerk reaction with intellectual property. So the second they think about doing AI, they immediately want to get the patent attorneys involved and they start whispering about it. And we've literally seen this with Fortune 500 companies. They're, they're, literally, they're whispering and being tight-lipped about their AI initiative. And it's something is as silly as car damage or like semiconductor defect analysis where it's like, guys, do you know how many other companies are not only thinking about doing this, but they're actually doing it in production. And you guys are slowing this down because you're going to involve intellectual property. You're convinced you need to do it yourself. And anytime you're doing yourself and reinventing the wheel, that could be six months, 12 months, the time to value risk goes up where, so even though I've been a data science manager, I'm a big fan of finding partners that can test value very quickly. So can I partner with an AI software platform or some consultant group? And can they demonstrate that this problem, that uh, this idea that I have will actually work this month? It doesn't mean I have to use them, but I definitely reduce my risk rather than finding out six months or 12 months from now that my team did not have sufficient experience to deliver on a project. And I and I might react to that thinking, oh, the data must not be good, or it was the data, but the whole time it was the team. I, I had an, 
a team that had insufficient experience to deliver on a project. Well, Ben, I think that just about covers everything for our first podcast where we break down, you know, where is AI useful for businesses? Who's working on these projects? And how do you sift through the dirt to find the real gold and not be distracted by the fool's gold? So I want to thank you for coming on and giving your insight for the first episode of this series. I'm excited to dive into the rest here in the weeks to come. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Ooh, let me... Wow, I messed up the outro. Let me try that again. (laughs) Um, And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. (music) 